0: Alright ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another episode of Bass, Plates and Protein Shakes. Uh, we are uh, going to play another vintage episode uh, this time, uh, an episode I did back in the day with uh, uh, Mr. Mike Teixeira himself, Mr. RTS. Uh, this one was a really good one, uh, in this one we talked about uh, some of the details with what he was doing at the time which was called Project Momentum for those of you who have been following him uh, for a while will remember Project Momentum uh, pretty well. Uh, we, so we discussed some of the data around, around Project Momentum, uh, what he found to, to be beneficial in terms of uh, exposure, volume, uh, frequency uh, and all the rest of it for squat, bench, press and deadlift. Uh, as the stats that he uh, drew out from that project momentum which he ran on on quite a few subjects Uh, so we discussed that we discussed you know uh, what are some some uh, good ways to help improve bench we just discussed frequency and and uh and all the rest of it in general all that noise you're hearing in the background is is because i'm recording this outside i'm actually halfway across the world and I needed to, I just wanted to get this episode out because it was, a, it was a, a, quite a few days since I'd released the last one with uh, Greg Knuckles. By the way, thank you guys for uh, the great feedback you've been giving me in regards to the last two vintage episodes that have come out. Uh, um, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to actually tell me what you think, uh, suggestions, etc. So that's been good. We've had a lot of downloads for both of the last episodes. Again, uh, my, uh, the most downloads we've probably had for any of the episodes was, again, the um, the one with uh, Dr. Mark Isretel of Renaissance Periodization. So, but uh, without further ado, we'll jump right into this episode. Uh, again, let me know what you guys think. There's plenty to take away in this one as well. Uh, Mike T is is a great mind in in the um, sports science slash powerlifting community. He knows what he's talking about. He's been doing it for a very long time. And uh, there's a lot to pick up from this um, uh, podcast episode that I did with him uh, way back. Uh, A lot of stuff is is still... I mean, everything is is applicable because it's all principles that that I talked about with him. So, here we go. Mike, why don't you give us a little bit of a background about, uh, your, some of your achievements in, in powerlifting that, uh, you, you have, um, I guess, been more proud of, uh, that have been more notable to you in the past, as well as, uh, your educational background as it relates to, um, to sport and to powerlifting.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, let's see notable achievements. I'm sure the, the achievement that I'm most proud of, um, you know, and one that I've talked about uh, plenty of times is um, being the first um, first American from USA powerlifting, uh, or I guess uh, the first lifter from US, the first male from USA powerlifting, to win a gold medal at the World Games. Uh, did that in two thousand nine. So that's got to be the proudest achievement uh, that I've had in in all of my athletic career, not just powerlifting, but um, you know, other than that, I've won USA uh, Powerlifting Nationals uh, eight times. I was the best lifter twice. Um, so those uh, those are some of my prouder ones. Uh, also, junior world champion, if we go back to, gosh, that was 2006, and, uh, you know, I've medaled at uh, several world championships, and, and that's something that uh, it's important to never take for granted, you know. Uh, so, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah so so that's kind of some i guess quick career highlights for me um so my educational background um it's mostly been practitioner you know like i've been a, a lifter a coach a doer uh since the beginning you know i don't have a whole lot in the way of formal education um but i don't feel like that's been a real hindrance you know like the information is out there if you just are are willing to look for it and study it.
0: For sure, 100%, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, So
1: I started lifting, I started competing in powerlifting in like 2001 and uh, started coaching (laughs) not terribly long after that. It was probably 2005 or so. Uh, You know, my my training history in general goes back further than that, though. Um, And I was just kind of a, when I got to the Air Force Academy, um, we had a, a powerlifting club. And I joined the powerlifting club and um, it was really small. There were two other lifters at the time Um, and they didn't really have a whole lot of interest in, in, you know, like, I mean, I was super serious about it, you know, and, and uh, they didn't really want to take it to that level, which, you know, there's no fault in that, but, you know, that's just their choice. So, you know, I was, I kind of became the de facto a team coach, so I recruited a bunch of guys, and you know, here I am in a coaching role. So now I'm forced to to learn a whole new skill set, you know. And yeah. so that was kind of the the dawn of of my coaching, you yeah. know. And and I had to um, evolve in in a bit of a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been coaching pretty much nonstop since then. Um, yeah, and you know, now I would say that that's most of what I do in powerlifting, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so how long how long ago was that?
1: Then I started coaching. Yeah, I probably started coaching in the two thousand five time frame.
0: Okay, so we're talking eleven years now.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Sounds uh, a lot
1: longer when you say it like that. <laughs> yeah, but
0: when you look back on it and all. Um, yeah. Now, at what uh, at what age did you? because you said you you won the junior uh junior world championship so at what age did you get into powerlifting
1: let's see so i started actually competing in 2001 um i would have been 16 or so when i started competing and i started training much earlier than that i started training in uh, 97 i would have been 12 um you know and i had a history of like body weight stuff you know not a huge long history but you know i had I'd been an active kid even before then. Yeah. Um, not necessarily an in shape kid. I was kind of pudgy to be honest.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, when when you uh first got into the gym, uh, what were your lifts like? When you f- when you first started, you know, heaving some heavier squats, benches, and deadlifts, what were you pushing out?
1: Gosh, you, you know, I, I would love to to remember, uh, but I, I honestly don't. Uh, it's just, you know, I mean, I was so young at the time, I didn't even know what I was doing was was going to be this thing that would come to define a big part of my life, you know. Um, but I do remember the first time that I benched 135 pounds, uh, 60 kilos, yeah. you know, I remember that being a big deal, <laughs> you know. I remember my training partner, you know, when I finally did it, and he, I remember he's like, well, you got the big boy weights on there now. Yeah, you got a <laughs> you full know? plate on there. Right, yeah, you know, so that that was—I remember that being a big deal to me, you know. So whenever I started out, it was less than that, you know. So I wasn't one of these guys that just walked into the gym, you know, and deadlifted five hundred pounds my first day or anything, anything yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, man, I, I wish I did remember, you know. I it's just lost the time, I guess.
0: What was your uh, What was your body weight at when you uh, when you first started out?
1: Um, that's also a thing that, that I'm not real sure about. I know when I was, uh, let's see a freshman in high school, I would have been about 15 or so. Uh, I remember weighing around 195 pounds. Uh, and I remember that was the first time I benched my body weight as well. Um, which also seemed like a big deal at the time. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, smaller than that, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was, uh I guess big-ish for a for a twelve-year-old when I started out, you know, but not like abnormally large or, or anything like that. you yeah, know. Yeah. Just kind of on the bigger side of normal.
0: So you you when you started out, you you said you were weighing towards the uh, about 130 pounds, is that right?
1: Um, probably. <laughs>
0: yeah, and how much how much are you weighing now?
1: Now I'm weighing uh right around 120 kilos, you know outside of competition, probably 122,
0: 123. Yeah, so you are uh, more or less doubled in size over these years, correct?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, more or less. I guess
0: so. <laughs> All right, uh, let's, let's talk about uh, something that you uh, brought out um, or, or sort of like a mini experiment you did um, not long ago, which was Project Momentum. You wanna run us a little bit through that, what that was about and uh, what it was that you did?
1: Sure, sure. So we just had we had this idea uh, for uh, just running some very high frequency training, um, practicing the competition lifts uh, every training session. So actually, let me go a step before that. We had this training strategy that we were already employing successfully, where. Um, we were already doing a large volume of the competition list. It's just that that volume of the competition list was concentrated onto a single training session. Mm-hmm. And the thought was, well, what if we just distributed that volume out over the course of a whole week? You know, um, you would still do the same assistance work that we've always done. Um, but just distribute out the, the training volume, uh, more evenly, uh, see how that affected our, our training results. So we tried it with a couple lifters, myself and and a few others uh, gave it a shot. Um, It was successful. You know, things were going well. We liked it. Uh, We proved that it was doable. It didn't take, you know, I mean, it took the training sessions took a long time, but it wasn't it wasn't to the point where it was, uh, you know, a, a non doable situation. So we thought, you know, well, this is cool. You know, it seems like it's working. Uh, what we'd really like to do is get some more data points on this. Like what, like, how do we find out more about who this works for, who's this strategy good for, uh, without just, you know, doing it the classic way of just applying it to, to you know, whoever you think it's good for, and then you just uh, refine your opinion over, you know, months or even years, you know, and you finally figure out, you know, what the strategy is all about over a long period of time. We thought, well, can we speed up that process? You know, and so we we thought, well, let's just take the stock program, you know, um, and let's just see who wants to try it out. You know, we'll put it out there for free and uh, see who wants to try it out, be part of a a little experiment. Um, So we put out a call and had 400 and some lifters uh, sign up for the for the project. Um, we sent them training for I believe it was eight weeks uh, that followed this this really high frequency uh, model. And uh, at the end of that, we sent them a questionnaire um, to figure out how how they did and try to try to get some information back from them. You know, try to figure out who is this good for who was it not good for, see what lessons we could learn from it. We were already pretty sure it was going to work, but the real question is who is it best for, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So, um, we got, a, a hundred and some odd responses, which is, you know, pretty typical. That's not a bad response rate uh, for something like this. Um, and over the people who responded to our questionnaire at the end, um, Let's see, I'm going to have to think of what the, all the stats were off the top of my head, but it was something like the, the average was a 20-something gain on their total over the course of eight weeks, uh, and then we had some people that were much, much more than that. Um, there were some that were a lot lower than that, too, but, you know, so the average gain was uh, something like 20 kilos on your total over the course of eight weeks, and, yeah, it was just, uh, it was definitely successful, It definitely showed that you know for the people that we applied this to uh, by and large it was a good strategy to use Um, we also got some interesting stuff on the other end of it in terms of because like I said the the real question is to figure out who is who did well who didn't do well and can we predict that in some way you know
0: yeah that makes sense so uh, for those people listening what was the uh the setup of the the program itself we, we're talking uh, so you you did a uh, a competition lift every single day in training i think it was four days a week is that right four days a week training right
1: right yeah so it's four days a week training and every training session included the competition squat bench and deadlift and then uh for the bench i think every training session included additional work for the bench mm-hmm. um And then some training sessions would include additional squatting. Others would include additional deadlifting. Now, the the competition lift volume turned out to not be very much for each session. Right. Uh, You know, it's three or four working sets. Right. Um, You know, but if you were on a squat emphasis day, you know, you might only have, you know, three or four working sets of squats. And to be honest, they weren't terribly hard. You know, it's three or four sets of five at a at a percentage that's not, I mean, we're not talking about a grind you into the ground percentage, you yeah. know, it's a percentage that you should, you know, have a pretty low RPE for. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you would go through that. And of course you try to execute it perfectly. You accelerate the weight you generate as much force as you can and all that. But it's just the baseline level of work. Isn't that much. It's just that it happens every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you may have some additional work after that there may be some pin squats or um or some straight leg deadlifts or something like
0: that okay um Um, and that emphasis
1: would rotate for each each
0: day all right well that's yeah that's that was my that was going to be my next question so the emphasis would change uh on each day of training uh and so therefore the the amount of uh, work being focused being in volume or whatever and intensity would change for each day as well Yeah. yeah okay uh and why did you decide to uh, sort of set it up like that had you had you come across certain studies or had you noticed a certain pattern yourself in in your clients over the years that that you decided that um doing a super high frequency like this would be more f- effective than um you know what you were doing before
1: well i mean we've been talking about the norwegian frequency project for for a lot of years now you know yeah. and Uh, So I I don't like, that wasn't the direct catalyst, but I mean, I've got a tremendous respect for, for coach Wolf. Uh, And I I wish that I could find out more about what he does with his lifters, you know, because I think it's extremely interesting, but, you know, I would say that I've been inspired by, you know, what I've heard from him. uh, What I've, what I've seen from Norwegian lifters Uh, also, you know my conversations with other coaches, you know, and, and it just seems like that's kind of the the trend that things were things were slash are moving toward as toward higher frequencies, uh, more of a volume focus, and things like that. Um, I'm not sure if it's great to take that idea to its logical conclusion and do the, you know, the squat to a max every day or something like that. That's, I mean that's another interesting question though right like yeah. what population is that best for yeah. you know it's it obviously works for some and not for others so who is i mean that's always the question um so this was kind of a an evolution in that direction you know um and that's something that i picked up in my training a long long time ago is like think evolution not revolution you know we want to you know of course Adapt and evolve your training, but you don't need to totally reinvent the wheel every training cycle, you know?
0: Yeah, that's so, yeah. Uh, yeah, was, so coming was, from
1: where I came from, you know, it's like, well, let's just distribute the volume out. And that seemed to work pretty well.
0: Okay, so the volume was uh, more or less equalized. I mean, maybe not dire- exactly equalized, but it was more or less equalized
1: for me and some of the original. Um, they weren't even beta tests, you know. <laughs> like some of the people who originally trialed this idea before Project Momentum it was ever a thing. Yeah, the volume was pretty much equal. Okay. Um, we didn't have a way to really do that uh, for or, or really uh, control that for the Project Momentum itself, but we did look at um, we looked at frequency um, because for a lot of these guys, they don't they didn't know what their training volume was before, you know, like a lot of guys aren't calculating that, you know. Um, So they wouldn't have been able to give us an accurate number on what they were doing before. Uh, So we didn't really ask that question in in the closeout. Yeah, uh, But we did ask about frequency. So for example, how many times were you squatting before Project Momentum? And then we knew, of course, they were squatting four times a week during the project. Um, My expectation was that you know, people that were maybe used to squatting two, even three times a week, uh, we're going to see a lot of benefit because it was a, an increase in workload, but it wasn't that much of an increase. I thought the people that were used to only squatting once a week, um, for them to go straight into squatting four times a week,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I, I thought it would be too much for them. Uh, that turned out to not be the case, though. Uh, the people that went from You know, squatting once a week to then squatting four times a week showed the biggest improvements of any other group. Um, You know, as long as they were able to stay healthy, as long as they were able to recover, uh, they showed, you know, big increases, which, I mean, I guess if you think about it that way, it makes sense, right? So if you have a big increase in workload,
0: which you're able to recover from then, yeah. of course,
1: you're going to make big gains, you
0: know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what uh, What differences did you notice in between the different exercises? So, uh, you know, increasing frequency uh, for squat bench and deadlift, uh, did, you, did they all um, sort of Im- improve as much? Did you notice any kind of patterns there? Anything at all?
1: Well, we didn't really look at that or haven't looked at it yet. I mean, we have the data available um, because we did ask about individual lifts. Um, but we just really focused on the total just because there's so much to look at, you know, um, we were asking questions about if they used any additional recovery modalities, if they, you know, so there's so much stuff to, to look at that. We just kind of kept it to the total for right now. However, I mean, the data does exist. We just kind of have to dig into it and, and, uh, and look at it to see, you know proportionally where where was the best progress and that that would be an interesting thing to see right because i know for a lot of people they hypothesize that you know it's good for the squat almost certainly good for the bench uh, maybe not so good for the deadlift um i mean that wasn't my experience but i can i can see why uh, people might think that
0: yeah because in the in the original norwegian uh powerlifting project they that is what they reported from memory they said that uh, uh, squat and bench improved uh, pretty significantly but uh, not not much of an improvement for deadlift I mean there was no difference between uh, lower frequency deadlifting and high frequency deadlifting and uh, I've also noticed the same thing in my training and the training of of my athletes I tend to I tend to actually find that it's better. I don't know if it's different for um, for non-natural powerlifters, uh, but uh, for raw natural power lifters at least, I've found that uh, a higher volume uh, per session tends to be tends to be the go for deadlifting itself, anyway.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that would definitely be an interesting thing to look at. That's probably worth looking at, you know, just to just to check it out. So yeah, maybe after, maybe after we're done here, I'll I'll
0: look up that stat. Yeah, maybe. Um, What about in regard, see this, one thing that I've always noticed uh, as a pattern is, is that the bench press itself tends to just act like a different, different uh, animal in itself. Uh, What, what patterns have you noticed over the years, maybe, maybe not just within Project Momentum, but over the years with, with the bench press, um, obviously uh, you know, what I, What I've noticed, and, and maybe not so obvious, but to me, it seems to be obvious that it needs much more volume, even in some cases, uh, the same or more volume as, you know, squat and deadlift put together. Uh, but in terms of like, yeah, loading patterns well. and, and, and volume patterns, what have you noticed over the years with the bench press and, and how to make it improve?
1: Um, you know, I mean, I would start out by echoing what what your observations are, to be honest. It's uh it's a lift that can tolerate more volume. Um, Now, uh, one way that I've looked at it for a long time is that squat and deadlift seem to tax the same structures. Mostly, you know, uh, we're talking about lower body lifts, uh, glutes, quads, hamstrings, lower back, stuff like that. Um, So I look at their volume. A lot of times I'll look at it together. Like what is the combined squat deadlift volume? And then Mm. Uh, the bench usually is, is pretty close to that, but yeah, I mean, for some people, especially those with kind of stubborn bench presses will push the bench volume even above, uh, even above that level. Um, I mean, not a ton above that, but yeah, you know, especially like if you're in a developmental stage or something like that. Yeah. You've got to just do a lot of work. I also found that, um, I think, I think the bench just needs more variety, you know? Mm. I mean, this is, we're talking about a thing that I haven't exactly figured out all the way myself. No, <laughs> you know? I, I, I mean, agree with bench you. Could use Yeah, more. I've noticed that as well, for uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, but when my bench is good, you know, it, it it's a combination of including more variety, you know, both in terms of exercise selection, uh, although, you know, we don't need to get too weird, but, you know, just including a, a healthy bit of variety, uh, lots of variety in terms of um, intensity levels, you know, um, not, not necessarily in the same session, but, you know, across a, a certain period of time, you're going to need some variety, some high rep work, uh, some high volume work, and then also some high intensity work. I think the bench needs more high intensity work than, than the squat or the deadlift does as well.
0: Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, another thing that I was going to mention as well. Intensity-wise, I've found that usually anything less than, um, like it's, it seems to be for squat and deadlift, anything at about 80% seems to bring about a pretty significant uh, training effect. What I've noticed is with bench press, um, anything less than about 85% or 82%, 83% seems to be a waste of time. Uh, unless, uh, maybe it's a different case with people who have like super strong benches. So, uh, world class, uh, but, uh, definitely for, for people who are not as strong, not as developed, uh, are intermediate at best in, in their bench press compared to, you know, the rest of the world, I guess, in their weight class, something like a 85% seems to be the minimum threshold I've found. I don't know if that's right or wrong, if that's an incorrect observation um but uh but what you were talking about in regards to variety as well uh is something i've also noticed now with the variety have you found that there are certain go-to you know two or three go-to sort of variations that seem to pretty much always work and help and assist the bench press like close grip bench or like board press or whatever
1: well my go-to lifts are, are always bottom focused but lately i've been a bit more detailed about how I select those. Um, so I guess in the past, like my go to uh, assistance movement for the bench is pause bench, you know,
0: Right. and I think
1: that's really good for people that tend to be a little bit soft in the bottom of the bench, you know, and you can see this. Uh, so they bring, uh, say their third attempt bench, they bring it down. And when they get the press command, they press, but they, you can see their, their body kind of squish they're not really tight enough, you know,
0: mm, mm, yeah. I think pause
1: bench is great for developing that, you know, but if you have somebody that doesn't do that, they're, you know, really stable there, they don't have a shortage of, uh, you know, that stability in the bottom. Um, then I think maybe pin press is a better option for those people. Um, so I'm trying to zero in on things, uh, on a bit more of a detailed level. Um, you know, and and that's not a guarantee either. You know, it's it's still very much a, a we have to try it and see kind of thing. You know.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, bench is just one of those ones that um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. takes a lot. But, you know, I summer.
1: noticed what you're what you're saying too. You know, like um, the people that are at at a higher level, uh, the the really talented benchers seem to do better. Um, they can they can still derive a benefit from. Uh, you know slightly lower intensities you know into the 80 even 70% range but you know for me I don't see that like on the squat and deadlift I'll go as low as 70% sometimes Yeah. Uh, for the bench press going much below 80% doesn't really it's not really getting much done for me you know at 80% you know I can do you know I'm doing for me personally like I'm doing 6 Seven reps, even eight reps. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're really talking about using a weight that's not, uh, not challenging you in the in the absolute strength category.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad I've I'm, I'm f- found the same thing, and um, I'm not crazy, so I'm definitely on the right track. Well, yeah, yeah, Because <laughs> yeah. we got like uh, we got our. Uh, well, it's always
1: always good we kind of independently uh, arrive at similar conclusions. Yeah, right? for sure.
0: Because. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we got we got our boy uh, Caleb who uh, just competed on the weekend. He's in the eighty-three kilo class and he pressed uh, two hundred, uh, so four forty pounds. And uh, his training um, is is also the same sort of same sort of pattern. Uh, he likes to handle heavier weights more often, and uh, usually hovers around the eighty-five. He may go down to eighty every now and again um depending on the day and what and what purpose that may be but if you were to probably average it out he would be hanging around the 85%, 83% um most of the time and it seems to be uh, obviously working with him for him very well so um yeah. glad on the right path there now what about uh, differences in in training uh, between that you've noticed between uh, like a beginner and intermediate and advanced level lifters like what are different con- considerations and how does the programming change for for a beginner level athlete and an intermediate and an advanced level athlete that you've you've noticed uh, over the years? I mean, what I'm talking about is uh, you know for a beginner you may just focus on a general just movement pattern and and correct uh, correct movement and and things like that. For a, for an intermediate, do you focus on strengths rather than weaknesses? Do you focus on weaknesses rather than strengths and and so on?
1: Yeah, good question. Um... I I tend to not see a whole lot of like real beginners uh, these days. Uh, So, you know, when we do, uh, it's just, yeah, learning the movements and becoming proficient at the movements. Um, You know, so there's a a lot of just competition practice, like you're just treating it like a pure skill at that point, you know? Yeah. Uh, But then once you're out of that total beginner stage, you know, I, I think it's important to, continue developing a variety, um, variety of, of strengths of variety of skills. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say that I focus on strengths or weaknesses or anything like that, because the bulk of any of our training effect is going to come from the actual practice of the sport. So, you know, so what do you do with the rest of the time? I think at that point, your biggest bang for the buck is, is focusing on weaknesses. Um, but in terms of like programming differences, probably the biggest programming difference um uh, going to come from the overall level of volume as the lifter develops. I think the overall level of volume needs to generally increase, you know. And I mean, we're talking over years. Yeah. Um, the your ability to tolerate work should increase. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, that's the biggest thing. And that doesn't always happen, right? Like, yeah. you know, I've seen guys, I'm sure you've seen guys too, that, You know, they've been lifting for a long time, but they've never really developed much work capacity. You know, Um, they can get strong up to a point, you know, but, you know, now it's almost like, well, we've got to take two steps backwards and really develop some work capacity uh, so that you can train at the level that you need to train at so that you can get to the next level of strength.
0: Yeah, that's Um, right. Yeah, they can't they can't handle uh, the amount of work they need to be handling to Uh, sort of push into that next level of strength for themselves Um, now what about uh, uh, in regards to uh, advanced level lifters going from intermediate to advanced um, how does how does uh, the intensity change? I mean, would you say over time the the average level of intensity that you're supposed to be working at just continuously increases, or no? Is there's a point where it actually has to come down because volume is continuously increasing?
1: Um, that's a good question. <laughs> so I think there's there's some methodology change that that I employ. Um, you know, from intermediate to advanced. And and I'm not sure that it has to be that way. It's just the way that we've done it up to this point. Um, For more of our intermediate lifters, we tend to use, um, I guess, more classic powerlifting protocols. You know, we'll have them working in the, you know, two to five rep range quite a bit. Uh, We'll have them working at a lot of nine RPEs and things like that. Yeah. And then once they get into the more advanced range, uh, we start doing some some neat stuff. You know, we'll have them take a single at an eight RPE, which is just slightly heavier than than their opener. You know, we're talking 93 percent. We'll have them take that every week, you know, so they're they're handling something that's pretty heavy every week, you know, and you get a lot of familiarity with that. And then there's back off work. Um, sometimes it's percentage based, you know, and much lower in intensity. Uh other times it's not, you know, and we just kind of uh we vary that quite a bit, you know. The other thing that we do is the more the more advanced the lifter gets, the more attention to detail there is regarding um uh, exercise selection. The more attention to detail there has to be regarding exercise selection. For an intermediate level lifter, the difference in results between you know a pin squat and a pause squat is probably not going to be very much. Yeah. You know um, but for a more advanced level lifter, somebody who's been at this for a long time and is struggling to see much in the way of gains, we've just got to really zoom in and, and figure out what is it that's, that's holding that back and, and really target that really attack that, you know?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I guess that all comes through like experience as you, as you yourself have trialed things and, and, you know, um, maybe gotten good results from one thing and then you know maybe not some could so much good results from another and then change it and, and sort of narrow it down over time
1: i suppose uh i mean all these i all these start out as ideas right you know and it's because um you know people like us are obsessed with this to to a certain extent yeah. you know we can't can't stop ourselves from, from tinkering with things, you know? So we're looking at it and you, you look at a lifter and you go, man, they're really squishy in the bottom of the bench press. You know, I wonder how do I, how do I fix that? And you you think about what tools do you have available that might enhance that ability? Well, I wonder if a, if a pause bench would kind of help teach them that skill of of being really solid and develop that stability in the bottom. Yeah. So you try it out and, and you go, okay, well it worked for that guy. Uh, let's try it with someone else. Okay, it worked for them. Oh, it right, kind of worked for this person. I wonder why they were different. You know, and then over time you start to develop this picture uh, because you, you have an idea, you're testing it out, you're paying attention to the results. You know, I mean, it's not it's not so formal that, you know, there's a statistical analysis and all that, and there's definitely some limitations with a methodology like this, but it's applied in the real world. And, and I think, gosh, there's just so much... Uh, to these observations, you know, especially these observations that have been, you know, cultivated over years, you know, uh, you know, I mean, that's one thing that's, that's kind of changed about my perspective over the years, you know, I guess just having uh, a deeper and deeper respect for the observations of veteran lifters, you know, Yeah. Now, the explanations aren't always correct and that's okay. But uh, I don't know it's just it just seems arrogant to me anymore to to discount uh someone's observations just because they don't have a a fancy scientific explanation for it you
0: know no i agree mate uh yeah in this day and age it seems to become uh, it's become like really evidence-based and like uh, driven through you know scientific research and you know where's your research where's your evidence Uh, sort of you know that's what that's what people jump at and uh they don't Maybe they don't think that there's there is some anecdotal evidence out there as well because people that have been out there um, and have just observed things through time uh, and uh, you know that experience in itself is is uh, you, you can't you can't argue with it. I mean, if uh, Eddie Cohen uh, came up to you and and gave you some advice, you're not gonna jump at him and say, oh, "Where's your evidence? Where's where's your research?" You know, he's just been there and done it through so many years. Uh, that you would, you would probably at least listen uh, properly to what he's got to say before you dismiss it or make any decisions on what he's saying to you. And, uh, I mean, it's a similar similar thing to uh, you yourself as an example. Like, you may not have any uh, formal education in regards to a sports science degree or something like that, but uh, you've certainly proven yourself through, through the years in being able to uh, constantly produce athletes again and again that uh, have have stepped onto the world stage and and done great. So, I think yeah, people need to relax a little bit about the whole evidence thing and and sort of uh, be a bit more open, as you said.
1: <laughs> right, and, and I mean, I don't think it's an it's an anti science stance at all, you know. Because no. and, and there's there's another. I would say most of the people that that have kind of really taken the evidence based thing too far are they're not really doing. The evidence-based thing justice anyway you know they're just following a different kind of guru is all it work all it works out to you know but i think people that have produced you know produced something worth looking at you know in the in the real world are, or you know i mean it's worth looking at it's it doesn't mean that you have to to take what they say as truth but it means you should at least consider it you know you shouldn't just dismiss it out of hand you know um, I don't know. Hopefully, we're seeing kind of uh, a settling into a middle ground. I, I hope that's what we see. You know.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, tell me this. Tell me what are three things you've uh, you've learned as a coach? Or it doesn't have to be three. Whatever amount of number you want to throw out me. Uh, A couple of things you've learned as a coach over the years, especially in regards to um, improving a lifter, especially in regards to how to relate to an athlete, how to get the most out of an athlete, how to program, things like that. Um, What are some things that have become like sort of, sort of became that aha moment for you over the years or or became an epiphany and and sort of uh, made your life easier?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, Good question, by the way. Um, Probably the biggest thing, and, and so these questions never really revolve around sets and reps, you know, I think that's, yeah. that's yeah, interesting, that's, right? yeah, For sure. Um, but probably the, the biggest and most important thing is, is paying attention, you know? Um, yeah, just, just paying attention and not being afraid to, to trust your observation. You know, um, if you see something and you go, well, it's not supposed to work like that. Um, but it seems—it certainly seems to be that. I mean, well, I mean, you're making an observation of of how things are working out in the real world. Um, you know, wishful thinking doesn't change that. You yeah. know, so um, I guess just a willingness to to trust those observations and pay attention to what's going on. You know, I, I think that's the for people looking for a coach too. You know, a coach that pays attention is, I mean it's hard it sounds silly right I but it's kind, yeah, it's kind of important pay attention yeah, yeah. you know so, I've, I've heard of i was talking to a friend of mine high level lifter too like a, a world caliber lifter so you would think that if anybody's going to get attention from a coach it would be this guy right
0: yeah he was working with
1: this coach um he said you know he sends him his workout he goes in and he's benching that week he misses his reps uh, he sends it sends the coach's feedback for that week uh, he gets his training for the next week, and the the weights and reps are are higher. And you know, he's like, "Well, I missed mm. last week. Like, what are you? What's <laughs> going on here?" You know, it doesn't take much of that, and you yeah. and you lose uh, lose confidence uh, in a coach pretty quickly. So, but yeah. yeah, I mean, a coach that pays attention is is huge. You know, um, well, I guess another thing would be thinking about force. Yeah. Sorry, did you, did you no, have something no, no, you want No. to add no, before that's, just kind of
0: jump no, on? Yeah, no, I, I don't want to ruin your train of thought there. Force, in, in what regards?
1: Well, just, it's called powerlifting, but power plays a pretty minimal role in what we do. I mean, it's not totally irrelevant, but it's kind of not that important. Um, so just thinking about force and force production, understanding what that is, and uh, and I shouldn't say understanding it because I don't think we've ever got it completely nailed. Right. So I think uh, cultivating and understanding of it is probably a better way to put it. Um trying to, you know, thinking about things in terms of force and force production, how do you develop force, cultivate force? Um, that's kind of been the catalyst for a lot of the ideas that, you know, I've had and we've tried out and, and found some success with.
0: Now I'm I'm glad you you brought that whole power thing up and versus force, because um, this is something that people have uh, have asked me in the past. Uh, I've asked myself like way in the past, and uh, over time, it, and even to this day, like a lot of people um, sort of chase it, and that is uh, speed work. So yeah. while I've got you, while I've got you on on the line uh, today, why don't you take us a little bit through your findings of speed work and whether speed work works? Uh, I personally don't think it works uh, within the confines of powerlifting. I do think it works within. Uh, the realms of uh, like uh, training an athlete for like a field sport, like a, a sport that that requires you to uh, produce and improve maximal force production. But what are your thoughts on uh, speed training as far as powerlifting is concerned?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I guess we should start out with a bit of backstory. I wrote some articles um, quite a few years ago now, but uh, they were called "Why Speed Work Doesn't Work," and yeah. I think. A lot of people maybe maybe saw the title and got angry uh, before they ever read the article. That was an, maybe a, a bit of a clickbaity title, I would have to admit that. Uh, but the subtext of that is that it doesn't do, for a power lifter, it doesn't do quite what you think it does. Like doing speed work doesn't make you stronger. It doesn't enhance your force production because you never really practice high levels of force. The bar speed's too fast for, for high force to ever develop. You know, um, it, it doesn't mean that it's useless. It means that it, it doesn't make you strong, you know, um, for some people, um, there's, there's so much going on with, uh, with a a classic speed work workout, right? Um, you have people, um, if you're not very well conditioned or you've got something going on that's, that's causing you to, to not be able to tolerate Uh, a lot of rep work. Um, You know, like a lot of these guys do. You know, well, speed work kind of becomes a a volume work substitute. You know, you're getting some volume in. You know, it's in these short burst sets. Uh, So, you know they're never getting a, a super painful back pump or something like that you know or uh, and it's still about as much volume as, as they can tolerate you know yeah. now you have a different demographic of people that have a higher work capacity have a better tolerance to volume then you know well you know 20 total reps and broken up into doubles that are never really that hard like like, like you said it could be good for power production but that's not really what we need. We need force, Correct. you know, so it's not really helping us develop force, you know, and there's, there's plenty of arguments about whether or not it's good for technique or not. And, and I mean, Fred Hatfield always talks about good, better, best, right. And it might be just fine for developing technique. I think, I tend to think that there are better ways for, uh, for most athletes, you know, and and I'm coming at this from the perspective of you know, uh, I'm I'm a lifter in the IPF. I coach lifters in the IPF. So that's what I'm that's what I'm used to. And in fact, most of my experience at this point has been coaching raw lifters. You know, so that's that's the paradigm I'm coming from. You know, yeah. If if a um, gosh, I don't know. If a pole vault coach came to you and said that you know the best training method in the world uh, revolved around I don't know some specific pole vaulting uh, methodology. You might say, "Well, that's cool," and you might be able to glean something from it, but you would have to adapt it to the particular uh, uh, sport of powerlifting. You know, and the same thing has to happen here. You know, if we have training lessons from equipped powerlifting, that has to be translated a bit to apply to raw powerlifting, and vice versa. You know, I mean, that's why. Uh, we saw training methods change uh, the way that we did when uh, the equipment really started to take off, you know, and and I I think why we've seen kind of a more of a return to the old ways now that raw powerlifting has become more popular. I mean, that has, that happens at at all kinds of levels. So, I mean, we're talking just a minute ago about um, respecting the guys that have been there, respecting those people that have had lots of experience. You just have to look at it through the lens of, what is that experience? You know, who have they coached? What context were they working in when they, when they coached there? You know, were, they, were they coaching drug-free lifters or not? Were they coaching raw lifters or not? Were they coaching a different sport? Some of, the, some of the coolest ideas, the most exciting ideas that I've ever had in terms of training for powerlifting have come from other sports.
0: Mm-hmm. You know?
1: But there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that that translates to something that I care about.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense, um, and you're right. Uh, within the the context uh, can certainly make a make a difference in in regards to how it's applied, as you said. Um, you know, so at that time when you put that put out those articles, that the whole speed speed work thing was coming out of or uh, uh, being popularized out of Westside Barbell, and uh, I guess when you look at the context in that regards, is that you got uh, bigger lifters, uh, most of them with not so high a work capacity. Uh, so they can't be deadlifting high volumes, you know, multiple times a week, and um, also the the use of anabolics uh, will probably aid in um, or allow them to deadlift less per week and still be able to maintain um, th- that strength level and and not really lose any and have any any decay in in both um strength and uh, somewhat in technique so that that speed work day for them would probably just be some extra work uh, that would get in some more volume for them be almost even uh active recovery for them in preparation for the next heavy deadlift day w- would i be right in saying that
1: yeah i mean i i think so you know and there was um uh there's an Italian powerlifting coach, uh Carlo Busicelli oh,
0: yeah, really. uh, who
1: had a, a very interesting article where he said essentially you know the same thing that he sees the value of speed work in being mostly uh technical in application, you know. And you know, you just gotta realize that for most of us, most of the I guess just the regular guy powerlifters, um that's not a really inspiring thing, you know, we're going to, we're going to take mm. this whole day and we're going to dedicate it to really light technique work. You know, it's hard to get excited about that kind of a yeah. workout. You know, most of us, uh, have different motivations. Um, now whether that's important or not is maybe a different question and whether that's the best way of going about it. Uh, you know, that's also a different question, but you know, I mean, once you get to this point, right. So you, you start looking at it for what it is, you know, and then you say, does this have value to the athlete? Yes or no. Is this the best use of the athlete's time? Yes or no. And if it is, then yeah, heck great. All, by all means, you know, and I'm sure that it is for, for certain groups of, of lifters, you know, it's just that for the lifters that I coach and lifters that I see most often, I don't think that it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, well, I guess that comes down to an to their own sort of thing at the end of the day some people will just never let go of it and i mean they, they swear by it and they and they do it and it probably even works for them whether it's placebo whether it, it just does work for them and and that's the way it's going to be i guess all
1: um, right and i mean you know just what we said earlier like we've got to take their observations of that experience seriously yeah you know uh it may not you know their observation may be that speed work i did speed work in my my squat went up. Um, so we've got to take that seriously, but it may not be, you know, the explanation may not be correct, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then once we start peeling back some layers and, and looking at the specific context, you know, just like what we did for project momentum and, and all the rest, you know, you start looking at specific context and you, you start to maybe get a bigger picture, a more clear picture of, of what is it that's making the difference, uh what is it that makes this tool a good tool for this person but not a good tool for this other person
0: that makes sense that definitely makes sense um now as a coach mike how do you uh go about increasing your athletes um both motivation levels uh, and also retention levels, so uh, retention to to the program, retention in in terms of long term retention, not within you know the pro- the one cycle of program that you give them. How do you go about as a coach motivating your athletes to stick to training in the long term?
1: Uh, good question. I, I mean, I, I suppose that depends a bit on on what you mean by motivation. Um, like, I'm not much of a of a cheerleader type coach. I'm very much of a you know I, I treat them like adults and like if they um uh, if they tell me uh ah, just really don't feel like like lifting weights right now you know okay fine see you later <laughs> you know yeah. I mean I, I just don't I, I don't really have it in me to to cheerlead a lot of a lot of people but if yeah. you're interested in this and you want to pursue this then then by all means you know that gets my my best effort um in terms of in terms of retention though and that's a really great question because it's not just about the coaching you know it's it's about cultivating a relationship and and communicating something to an athlete you know i think that there has to be some communication letting the athlete know that like look this is a this is a big picture this is not just a one cycle thing you know like and i'm sure you've had this happen to you too like people sign up to get the program you know and they think yeah. that they're going to uh, And I've had people ask me this outright, like, look, if I work with you for eight weeks, uh, will that be a program that I can use on my own in perpetuity? And (laughs) no, man, like this is part of a bigger picture. (laughs) You know, this is part of athlete development over a long period of time. Yeah. You know, I think communicating that is really important, you know, and and whether they want to stick around, whether they like the whole experience, you know, I mean, that varies a lot. And that's a, a lot based on personality. But at least they know that. You know, I've got more in mind than just this one. You know, this one uh, uh, training cycle.
0: Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, this is something that we talked about. I talked about with uh, you know, Mike Rizzetto uh, in the last episode of the podcast, and he broke it down really well towards the end of it. And uh, he went on this this great rant of his, which uh, I think uh, <laughs> touched on a lot of um, a lot of heartstrings for a lot of people. Um, and he said basically. He doesn't understand that, that that people would want to get into something uh, for the short t- short term. As in, they try and figure out a way uh, to sort of force themselves to, to stay motivated. Whereas, what they should be thinking about is the bigger picture. Is what you are trying to create. And as a powerlifter, for example, what you are trying to create is... You are trying to be the, in his own words, the strongest motherfucker on the planet. And... Uh, and... Th- th- as long as you have that uh, in your in your mind like in the back of your mind uh, perpetually all the time I guess that makes it a little bit easier to adhere to programs and and sort of pursue it and I see athletes that uh, and I'm sure you you've seen this as well with your own athletes the ones that are a little bit more serious and have set a, a, a larger than life goal um, that they want to for example stand on a podium at a, at a world championships or something like that they're the ones that tend to usually push past injuries and, and downtimes and things like that and always bounce back and eventually get there. It may take them longer, but they, they always get there. And that's what I've found.
1: Yeah. 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 You know, and yeah. And I, and I kind of self-select for, for those types of lifters, like the people that need the, the cheerleading, you know, they don't hang around the program very long because I don't provide that, you know, and that's, and that's fine, you know. And so there's there's going to be some selection bias there, and that's also why people uh, listening, you got to look at context, you know. And if I guess if there's going to be one horse that I'm going to beat to death, it'll be the the context horse. But that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of think of it like uh, like creating a sculpture, though, or create. You know, it's it's some sort of a it's a work of art, really. You know, like you're talking about a powerlifting career. You know, and for for most of us, this is going to span. A decade or two or more, you know, like we've had some powerlifters that you know seem to defy time itself, you know, and that's great. Uh, but really, you're you're kind of creating a work of art with your with your powerlifting career. And the times when I've gotten in trouble are when I'm when I'm trying to force it in the short term, you know, when yeah. I end up sacrificing the long term for yeah. the short. I'd that's when i get in trouble
0: yeah i can definitely relate and to that. i mean you
1: think of it think of it like a sculpture right so if you're you know if you're carving something into into stone and you try to force it too much then you're going to fracture the stone and, and this thing that you're trying to carve is going to going to crumble you know uh you have to you have to coax it out of the stone you know you, you've got a
0: um uh, You've got to take your time you got to be articulate
1: right yeah you know you can't rush it you know when you it's when you try to rush it that you get yourself in trouble you got to realize that this is going to take a while and i mean on the other side too you have people that are seem to be afraid to to ever push it you know so it, it's a it's a balancing act but i think that's why it's it's an art form you know because it's it's this middle ground we've got to feel it out you know it's and it's not a thing that somebody can write you a prescription for you know um, at least, uh, I mean, we, we do as much prescribing as we can, you know? Yeah. And, uh, like, like I use some athlete monitoring tools and stuff like that to try to help me figure out if an athlete is, you know, maybe coping with too much stress and they're nearing that crumbling point or not, you know, but it's still, it's, it's a bit of an art form, you know, you've got to, you've got to feel it out, especially over, over a longer period of time, you know, if we're talking about a training cycle. You know, if you're pushing this training cycle too hard, what is that costing you? You know.
0: Yeah. Um, what are your What are your goals in in regards to the competitive season? You going to Worlds?
1: Uh, no, no. So, <laughs> part of the thing has gotten so competitive uh, over the last, really, the, the last year or two. I think, uh, at least here in the states, that you know, I I didn't even make the team this year. Um, you know, now in my defense, I've been kind of dealing with uh, an ongoing hamstring glute hip whatever
0: injury yeah you had uh, that since last year old right
1: yeah i mean th- this thing has been dragging on for a long long time so um trying to get that sorted out and hopefully when that gets sorted i'll get a deadlift back and i, I think i think we all know that that's <laughs> that's really my uh, ace in the hole you know I'm, <laughs> I'm a good deadlifter uh you know not a bad squatter and um, I used to think I was not a bad bencher, but now that things have gotten more competitive, I'm starting to change my perspective on that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, obviously the deadlift is um, is up there, man. Um, it's always the one that everybody hangs around for towards the end of the competition for for them to watch oh, you. Yeah. Especially last year was was between you and uh, you and uh, Mohammed, right? At uh, in Finland. Um, what a uh, come to? Well, I wasn't
1: really in the in the running very much in Finland but uh, if we go back to South Africa yeah that yeah, was that's right, that Africa. was a good time uh, and that's really when my hamstring issue started and, and I guess to to maybe put a story with the the work of art thing that I was talking about a minute ago I would say that if I had to put my finger on it that's when I started making well that's the mistake that I'm that I, that I'm paying for you know is that in the training cycle leading up to that competition had a bunch of warning signs that were like hey dude just back off a little bit and things mm. will be fine um ignored all that and pushed ahead and you know that digs quite a hole <laughs>
0: you know yeah yeah and it goes on especially as you're uh as you become an advanced level lifter such as yourself it it, it drags on even longer uh especially as you're right, right. Uh, you know when you're not 16 17 18 anymore these uh these injuries take longer and longer to heal and can right. really be a pain in the ass uh pretty much literally for you in your case <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah unfortunately yeah that's the case <laughs> all right man uh, i won't take up much more of your time thanks uh, thanks a lot for your time today man um some great stuff out yeah. there for for people listening obviously if everybody out there needs to go out and check out uh, mike's website rts what's the website address mike yeah it's
1: reactivetrainingsystems.com you know and feel free to connect with us there connect with us uh through facebook or instagram that's really where we're most active um but yeah thanks for having me on uh it's been really fun it's always fun to you know sit down chat and talk about power thing talk about getting strong
0: it's been a pleasure man uh be in touch yeah. uh, over the next uh, yeah. coming months or so take care man. all
1: right great yeah take care